Yes, thank you very much for your kind uh, invitation. I cannot tell you how I'm pleased to be back in Columbus, Ohio. When I came to this country, believe it or not, 54 years ago, as an exchange student, my first stop was Columbus, Ohio, where I spent a somewhat extended period of time, that is some eight weeks with my foster family in the area of the Schiller Park, I don't know whether you know it, <clears throat> in order to get adjusted to a new environment. And I came back to Columbus, this time to Ohio State in 1984, more than 20 years ago, if my arithmetic is all right, for a winter term to teach contemporary German history. Certainly both experiences are unforgettable to me. What impressed me most when I came here for the first time was, of course, the highest standard of living. I got an addict to showers. At that time, we didn't have showers in Germany. We just had wash bowls, I think you call them. Uh, well, and another, of course, the other thing, the more human thing that struck me was an sort of instincting hospitality and easygoing friendliness and above all, an all-pervading feeling of security you encountered. Front doors left open at night. Well, good old days, they probably have gone as far as that's concerned. Even in 84, uh, America still was a little technically more advanced than we were at home. And I learned that the hard way. I lived in a small efficiency apartment in one of the high-rises, white one, uh, beyond uh, Dallas uh, Hall. Uh, well, you could do your own cooking, and uh, so I did. And I loved American steaks. I wanted to fry a really sizzling, uh, juicy steak. Then, when I started, after I had started, suddenly I heard a strange whistling sound. I thought something was wrong with my electrical cooker, but uh, that wasn't the case. When I turned the electri electricity off, the whistling went on. And it took a little while for me until it dawned on me that the whistling sound might have something to do with the smoke that emanated uh, uh, from the frying pan. And when I realized that, I knew any minute the general alarm in the whole building would be sounded. So fireworkers coming up, gazing at my frying pan. Embarrassing. So I was electrified, opened up the window. It was openable. Unfortunately, it was. And that way, I managed to put the fire detector to rest, a device I hadn't known in Germany before. But I won't forget it. OK, so much as to my stay in 1984. Of course, it was 1952-53 when I gained my first impressions of this country and a first image of the United States developed in my mind. Afterwards, I've been in the States many times. During the 70s, a second image of America involved uh, in me and an image in a way that I've retained until today. Now, for my the purposes of my talk of today, let me first describe these two images and each image try to put them in a historical framework. And at the very end, I hope it won't be too late, I would like to deal with a third image that has come up most uh, recently uh, in a time of 
uh, let's face it, German-American estrangement. And to illustrate this estrangement, I'd like to quote from a letter I received three weeks ago from an American uh, friend who this uh, analysts are not sure how far this estrangement goes, but my friend has very, had a very different opinion, and I'll like to quote from his uh, letter, and at the very end of my talk, we'll see to what extent uh, this argument holds water or not. Now, my friend wrote, and I quote, friendly faces you will see in the United States. See Germany as a kind of Sweden. Nice, pretty, good to visit, similar sent sentiments there to the American far left but Germany not really a country that we will find allied with us in issues of need, end of quote. Now, as to the German view of the United States, my friend wrote, German faces see the United States as a kind of imperialist dragon, bringing down the international world order. Most of these people hide behind a hatred for Bush, and they say they are not anti-American. Push to the wall. They will ultimately admit to their relatives that, yes, they do not like America. They think Americans are a paranoid nation that we Americans have made our own terror world. End of quote. Strong stuff, I guess. And let's see what's behind it. Let's try to put this and a sort of historical perspective. And I'll return the f to the first image I gained of this country when I came here more than 50 years ago. Now, before that, we lived in the Soviet zone of occupation in East Germany. Actually, we came from Berlin, but Berlin during the war in 43 was evacuated because of the air raids, and we settled down in a small town, some Germanists may know it, Neuropin, uh, some 50 miles northwest of uh, Berlin, and there we were liberated by the Red Army in April 1945. Now, material conditions in the Soviet zone were bad, but to an extent, they were still better than in the West. But nonetheless, it was difficult to adjust uh, to li uh, life in the Soviet zone, more than under Hitler, I dare say. As an ordinary German, you became aware of the control by the secret police. You became aware of kidnappings and of innocent people early in the morning, more or less innocent, maybe. You became aware of clumsy Soviet attempts at communist indoctrination behind the facade of uh, not political but democratic correctness. Now, <clears throat> our home in Berlin was located, happened to be, in the American sector of that city in 1947 with the help of some bribery. You needed cigarettes at that time, you know. That was the thing to get things uh, uh, done. With the help of some bribery, we managed to be permitted to return to our home in West Berlin. And I won't forget, and that was the very beginning of my image of the United States, I won't forget how we were envied by our friends who had to stay back in the Soviet zone as early as 1947. They said, look at the beautiful American cars in West Berlin. Read the newspapers. They are so much more interesting than ours. 
end of quote. Well, you can't be fed by foreign cars and intelligent newspapers. Food was scarce uh, in Berlin, uh, including the American part. It was a difficult time. But things changed, changed for the better, owing to the Russian-Soviet blockade of Berlin that was imposed uh, in, 19, in June, summer of 1948. Uh, the attempt of the Soviets, well, I don't have to explain this here, uh, to squeeze the Western powers out of the city. Well, we Germans felt we were sitting in, suddenly, sitting in the same boat uh, with the Americans, and from the American perspectives, German, Germans in West Berlin suddenly became uh, uh, heroes and material conditions uh, improved accordingly. Sure, uh, we youngsters were subjected uh, to American propaganda and to American re-education. But we really didn't resent it. Maybe we did yawn just a little bit when the word liberty showed in our American edited text just a little too frequently. <clears throat> but that's trivial. What seriously counted to us, of course, was the legacy of the Nazi regime, which I remember as a youngster. Although the Holocaust had not become a matter of continuous political discourse as it is today, we fully grasped at that time that the Nazi regime had committed horrifying crimes in Germans in his name and that thus had discredited our nation. So we looked beyond Germany's borders for values, for guidance, for personal identification. We had learned how the rule of law had been suppressed under the Nazi regime, beginning with the suspension of the, how you pronounce it, habeas corpus, the habeas corpus clause in February 1933. And, and of course, we had become witnesses of how the rule of law was bent in the Soviet zone of occupation. America, its tradition, and its legal and political practice seemed to offer the most convincing alternative uh, that promised to us to guide us uh, Germans out of the political and moral morass in which we had ended up under Hitler. Most of us became good Europeans and came to know full well that material and spiritual reconstruction of our country depended on American assistance. That way, <clears throat> most of us gained a highly favorable view of America. And when I was accepted for an academic year in America as an exchange student, I felt I had won the jackpot in a lottery. To be sure, when I first arrived in this country, Columbus, Ohio, ex I experienced a little bit of something what, my, my, one, what one, one might, uh, uh, may call a cultural shock. American reality, as it turned out, was not as shining, was not as federal, if you will, as the American barracks we got to see in Germany. There were slums, all right. Uh, there were, as we learned, even no-go areas. There were beggars who somehow appeared to have missed the American dream. I also developed, I had a, have a little diary, I checked this for the purposes of my talks in this country, I also developed some cultural snootiness. But all this 
did not count as compared to the fascination I had in getting to know a country and a people which was in many ways very similar to ourselves, but whose historical experience had been so different from ours. I intensely, for instance, watched the election campaign Truman Stevenson versus Ike and thus saw democracy in action. Of course, Ohio was Taft territory, the far right, <clears throat> which was a little uh, unusual for us because we were re-educated under the terms of, uh, in a way, FDR, the New Deal, you know. But okay. Uh, I, I, as, I as I said, it was just, uh, just mentioned, I saw democracy in action. And I observed something that was somewhat less than democracy. I hitchhiked down south and uh, observed uh, <coughs> the segregation that was still in place at that time. In classes, as well as during the endless bull sessions I had with my buddies, I got to know various aspects of the American philosophy of life, and I remember a difference in the religious outlook that seemed even pertinent today between some of my American friends who felt redeemed for good and me, the Lutheran, who insisted that you never can be sure about redemption. Well, when my academic year was over, I seriously, seriously considered staying on in this country. Could have been possible, I guess, but in the end, I decided not to. After all, I was optimistic with regard to Germany's future, and I was right. And then, I have to admit, none of my family had ever emigrated to the United States. I come from a, what you would call a white-color background, and as a rule, white-colored Germans did not leave the country unless, and that's an all-important qualification, they were suffering political persecution as in 1848 and much more during the 30s. And this brings me to the historical background of my personal first impressions I gained uh, in the United States. That was the 50s, the Cold War, the rise of the young Federal Republic of West Germany. Without America's backing, this West German Republic would probably never have been founded because Germany's neighbors, especially France, feared that a German state would again relapse into a radical nationalism and threaten Europe again. American authorities were more optimistic. The antidote to a renewed German nationalism was economic reconstruction and integration of West Germany with the West and reconciliation with its neighbors, especially with France. The blockade, I just mentioned it, the blockade imposed on Berlin by the Soviets in 1948 challenged this policy. Could America, we asked anxiously, could America afford just to get out of that isolated and embattled city and live the leave the German population to its devices? As you know, that was not the case, not the way Truman felt. The Cold War was on Germany seemed to tip the scales, the balance of power in Europe, and both America and the Soviets competed for the soul of Faust, as the High Commissioner of Germany at that time, uh, John McCloy, put it. It was in West Berlin that for a first time, a general feeling of solidarity came up between the German population and their American protectors against Soviet attempts at intimidation. Americans began to be popular, 
more so in West Berlin than in West Germany. Before that, 47, the Marshall Plan was launched, as you uh, know, to help German economic rehabilitation with grants and credits, more grants than credits, I should have said. Much more than any other of Germany's former enemies, the United States accepted Germans on an equal footing with the other Europeans. It was nation building on a very generous large scale and with a sustainable effect. The West German government under Adenauer appreciated this assistance and firmly opted for the West. It banked on America's commitment as the midwife of a new Germany. As far as the other European countries concerned, they also became convinced that the Soviet danger was more threatening than the German one. Uh, so they followed uh, American initiatives. The Schuman Plan was initiated for the economic integration of continental Western Europe. Prosperity set in uh, in Germany to a degree never known before in its history. To be sure, America's and the West German government's ultimate goal, something like a United States of Europe, did not come to fruition, but Franco-German reconciliation did, did in a way more effectively than America in a later period would have preferred. The Truman and the Eisenhower administrations underwrote German-American solidarity to an extent that the United States fully supported the German goal of reunification. When in 58 the Soviet Union triggered another crisis over Berlin, the Eisenhower administration threatened nuclear retaliation in case the Soviets took any unilateral steps uh, to gain control of West Berlin. In the 60s, at the time of the Kennedy administration, particularly the left I underline the left in Germany developed warm feelings toward America as the transatlantic republic seemed to stand for a kind of enlightened multilateralism that to, seemed to be in a decline in Europe where de Gaulle preached a new nationalism and, and anti-Americanism. Ich bin ein Berliner, I'm a Berliner, Kennedy exclaimed in a famous uh, speech, sort of rebuttal, and he was rewarded by the thundering applause of tens of thousands of Berliners who listened to him. Was it surprising then that most Germans in those days, myself included, were pro-American? But things changed, and this brings me to the second image of America I developed in the following decades. First, my own personal uh, impressions. Uh, impressions. I in a way, developed a defensive image uh, of America opposed to the critical, if not outright anti-American slant that became noticeable in uh, West uh, Germany during the late 60s. A growing number of students began to make common cause with Ho Chi Minh and the North Vietnamese communists. I myself, I must admit, I felt uneasy uh, about American setbacks and war crimes in the Vietnamese War, not to speak of Watergate. At the same time, I remain convinced that despite all the community of interests and values that kept West Germany and the United States together should be preserved, maintained, 
West Germany's position near the Iron Curtain, I felt, was much too exposed to, as to permit a break with its American protector. I felt the same way when the employment of American middle-range missiles was under discussion uh, in uh, Germany and uh, helped to unseat the Schmidt government until the situation was saved by uh, coal, a very close outcome. The position I personally developed in the face of all these difficulties, a position I think I keep upholding until today, was that a difference, a difference has to be made between America as a whole, as such, and the specific policies of a given admin American administration. A vocal minority in my country did not share this attitude anymore uh, as far as my person, personal recollections go. Now, what is the historical background of this shift of German public attitudes toward the United States, a shift that set in in the late 60s and uh, the uh, roots of which can be traced uh, until the present day. I return to international history. The origins of the changing trend in the German public opinion I just described have, of course, to be tracked or traced back to the war in Vietnam. These roots have an ironical touch. Criticism of American policies abroad came up in Germany as a reflex or even as an echo of the intra-American self-criticism that spread during the late 60s and the early 70s. The 68ers movement gained an increasingly strong foothold among West German, the, the younger West German generation. I was then at the beginning of the Middle Age, I must add. America, America's role in rehabilitating Germany was quickly forgotten. What counted to those 68ers was a superpower's warfare against an impoverished population in the third world, the Vietnamese, a people whose sole objective seemed to be simply to be free and, free and independent. Now the behavior, the argumentation of this German protest movement, you documented uh, it in the volume you put out, didn't you? It was in many ways an American import. The same protest songs were chanted in Germany as in the United States. Teach-ins, sit-ins, since then have become uh, parts of the German, words of the German uh, language. Culturally, in other words, this protest movement was the ultimate Americanization of the German youth. Although politically, this Americanization had an anti-American touch. Self-loathe, I think that's the term that's used presently uh, in German. We have a very descriptive uh, expression. We say Nestbeschmutzer, uh, that is uh, uh, birds that soil their own nest, you know. Okay, the big sea change of 89-90 seemed to restore the shining image America had enjoyed in the 50s. No one could overlook uh, that American pressure the older Bush's skillful diplomacy were largely responsible for bringing the Cold War to a successful uh, conclusion. It could not be denied that America had largely contributed to uh, the freeing of Eastern Europe from Soviet uh, do uh, domination and to bring about, to bringing about German unification. 
reunification. America's critics in Germany were muted for a time, not for long. And this brings me to the third image I gained of the United States, the contemporary German image. I myself got a taste of it in uh, 2003. The occasion was an article I had published dealing with a, the general 20th century German anti-Americanism. Uh, the roots of this German anti-Americanism go back to the First World War, as you know. <clears throat> then and afterwards, German anti-Americanism remained the domain of the political extremes on the left as well as especially on the right, the Nazi party, Hitler, Hitler himself, I don't have to tell you, uh, included. Whereas the vital center of the political spectrum in Germany tended to be friendly uh, towards the United States. Well, in my article, I drew parallels between the traditional anti-Americanism, the historical of the 20s uh, and earlier that, and the anti-Americanism I witnessed uh, in uh, the early, the, the beginning of uh, this uh, century. And you can imagine uh, that German critics of America uh, recently were not overly enthusiastic to be compared with Nazi anti-Americanism, although they had things in common, especially the criticism uh, of Americanism as modernity. That is, anti-Americanism is anti-modernism in Germany. Uh, what provided critics of America with new ammunition for their propaganda was the first Iraqi war. News from Germany reported noisy demonstrations, uh, pupils, students demonstration against high school students, I mean, against America's march into the Iraq uh, in uh, 19, uh, nine, 1991. No blood for oil, ran the slogan. During that war, the first, first, I repeat, the first Iraqi war, I was in this country, actually, for a somewhat, uh, somewhat longer period of time, and I remember the shock wave these demonstrations sent through the German-American community over here in Washington. These demonstrations tolerated, maybe supported, by social democratic administrations in some uh, German states were seen as an example of utter ingratitude, at worst as a harbinger of, fundamental, of a fundamental anti-Western turn uh, in Germany's global orientation. During the Clinton period, to be sure, such, such fears subsided as Germany and the United States largely agreed in handling the crisis that the violent disruption of Yugoslavia had unleashed. Afterwards, under the impact of 9-11, a wave of sympathy run, ran through German, the German public like the rest of Europe. Everything changed, of course, as soon as the second Iraqi war seemed imminent. You know this, the German Chancellor Schroeder promised the German public not to send German soldiers uh, to the Iraq under any circumstances, even when there was a United Nations mandate for a war against Saddam Hussein. This helped Schroeder win the election, no doubt about that. 
In one of its darkest hours, the West split into a combination of the United States and what Rumsfeld called the new Europe on the one hand and the old Europe, meaning primarily France, Russia, and Germany on the other hand. Since then, American bashing is again en vogue in the German public. To be sure, this meant taking up a current that had existed in West Germany since the Vietnamese War. I mentioned that. What were the reasons underlying German criticism, at times even condemnation, of the United States? I remind you of what I mentioned before, the identification of the German left with a third world, including Iraq. Contemporary America, in the eyes of such left-wing uh, critics, had become the overbearing only superpower, endangering the third world and beyond that diversity and multiculturalism. But this is only one source of contemporary German America bashing. Another source is particularly especially German. The memories of the devastating wars of the first half of the 20th century, wars that destroyed Germany. A third source I may mention points out to the Americans' influence in Germany. Germans had internalized America's role as a moral force, as a beacon in world politics, America's commitment to peace and multilateralism. Is it surprising then that the apparent belligerent unilateralism the American superpower that displaced recently raised eyebrows with German moralists and pacifists. These German voices criticize the present America in the name of a better one and are thus in line with a public current that can be found in this country as well, as I notice every day. The danger, of course, the danger is that such criticism can be abused by other people who refuse to distinguish between the two Americas and who reject America as such. It is very difficult to make out the real strength of these various currents in a German public opinion. My admittedly optimistic view is that the unreserved enemies of America as such still form a small fraction uh, in the German uh, public. Instead of going into that matter any further, I would rather like uh, to conclude by asking whether the international setup uh, of the last 15 years really justifies the breach between the Europe and the United States. A few people and, uh, in Germany and elsewhere are advocating. In other words, I turn from perceptions to what I consider reality in world politics. In the international situation, there are admittedly factors that help the two sides of the Atlantic, the German, the American side, drift apart. By far the most important of these factors, of course, is the end of the Cold War. Since then, Germany has ceased to depend totally on the American nuclear umbrella. German governments since then do not have to be afraid anymore to jeopardize Germany's basic secu security interests by following foreign policies that deviate from American options. Especially in out-of-area conflicts, Germany has a freer hand to follow America's lead 
or uh, do not. And another factor that applies not only to Germany but to all members of the euro currency is, of course, the fact that America's financial clout is no longer strong enough to enforce an agreement on the part of these European uh, countries forming the euro bloc. On the other hand, there are powerful factors, and I come to my conclusion, powerful factors advising any German government to maintain or even intensify close global cooperation with the United States. I mentioned just a few of them. First, there's Germany's traditional role as an exporting country. The United States continues to be one of Germany's best markets. A second aspect is the vital interest Germany shares with the United States regarding non-proliferation. As you know, Germany is committed to the status of a non-nuclear power. Any nuclear threat, now possibly coming from the Iran, is a direct threat to Germany. For effective protection, it could only resort to America. A third aspect has to do with the volatile situation in Eastern Europe, Russia in particular. It is true that for solely economic reasons, Russia should have every interest in cultivating close ties with Europe. But who knows whether some future Russian government will be prepared to view Russia's interest in that light. A situation is at least thinkable in which Germany would have to come, or in which Germany would have once more to invoke its American reinsurance policy. And this brings me to the final and I feel the most potent factor that speaks in favor of maintaining close German-American ties, regardless of perceptions. And this factor is Europe, the new Europe at large. Any German policy alienating America would lead to a split of Europe, and many political personalities in Germany make that point. Any German policy alienating America would split Europe as we witnessed in 2003, because America has acquired staunch allies in Eastern Europe, allies who would not admit an anti-American course of German foreign policy, let alone European. I'm referring to Poland in particular. To Poland, NATO membership and solidarity with the United States have acquired historic significance because owing to its membership of NATO, Poland is delivered from its eternal, eternally precarious position between a big Germany and a much bigger Russia, a neighborhood that, historically speaking, as you know, was the basis of Poland's bondage in the 18th and the 19th century and beyond. If America takes its commitment to the enlarged NATO seriously, it will protect Poland from falling back into that precarious position. If Germany, on the other hand, takes its commitment to an enlarged Europe seriously, it will think twice uh, whether it should antagonize Poland or not. Not to speak of the thousands, hundreds of thousands of Polish workers uh, that are presently have, 
of their uh, provisional homes in Germany, like people from South America in this country. There are thus powerful present-day reasons for Germany to maintain its close relationship with the United States. Reality, I think, goes beyond perceptions, and it's up to the Berlin governments to perceive this, what I considered the enlightened German interests. At the same time, of course, it's up to American administrations not to throw obstacles on the path of closer transatlantic cooperation. And with this observation, I'd like to thank you for your attention, and I'm open for a question and answer period. Okay, uh, that's a very good question, <coughs> and a very pertinent uh, one. Uh, now, of course, uh, you make a difference. This hasn't uh, gone into the German language as yet, but it probably will. Switching soft and hard power. Uh, as far as so uh, hard power is concerned, I think, really, America could forget about Germany, more or less, although uh, the military power, if that's the right term, the military potential German has may help a little in peacekeeping like in Afghanistan or so. Uh, so it's a little more than nothing, uh, but no more than that. Uh, I fully agree with you. Uh, but uh, then you have the soft power. And I think one of the reasons why the Iraqi war had such a bad start and the whole diplomacy, Bush diplomacy, uh, failed before it. And a reason behind the, uh, as a background of the present uh, difficulties is that, of course, uh, America's enemies in the Iraq, and there are many of them, as you know, they count on differences uh, between the Western powers. Uh, so uh, if uh, Europe and the United States are unanimous uh, in fending off political pressure from uh, inimical uh, uh, powers, uh, this does have an effect, and it may even have an effect uh, in the terms of maintaining peace, because uh, it's a sort of a uh, uh, propaganda influence uh, you exercise and uh, that way it's a kind of deterrence, that's the term I was seeking. Uh, and this deterrence to an extent 
of course, depends on heart power, but the battle that's going on today is also a battle of minds. And in this, I think, it's crucially important, uh, important that uh, Europe, whether Venus or not, uh, uh, sh uh, should uh, try to come uh, to a uh, common policy, common terms with the United States. Especially, it, it seems to work to an degree with Iran now. So the situation has changed somewhat, but of course, uh, this is the present day situation, and as a historian, I'm a little cautious to uh, step on that treacherous ground. Yeah. Favorable, well, that was the word, yeah. I'm a little hard of hearing, therefore I have to <coughs> ask for your forbearance. Now, these are really two questions, the cultural relations and the degree of being informed uh, of the German public about the United States. Now, let me start with the first. Now, the United States does make headlines uh, in Germany quite often, which is a phenomenon you uh, observe with American diplomacy uh, all along, you know, if, things that seem to be set of second-rate interest in this country, maybe vital uh, for the country that's uh, concerned, made Guatemala or Chile or whatever. Uh, so, uh, uh, but it's not only, oh, let me put it this way, uh, there's an awareness, whatever happens in the United States will affect us ourselves. So there uh, is certainly a feeling that uh, uh, Europe cannot be cut off from the United States and co can go on uh, on its own. Uh, and on that basis, I would argue that if you take the better, not the built, but the better uh, uh, newspapers you've got, like Frankfurt Allgemeine or Die Zeit, uh, we are rather well informed about, uh, about what's uh, going on. Uh, I'm sure present feud between some generals and uh, uh, Rumsfeld will be reported at length in our papers, although I cannot prove it. I haven't been able to catch a German paper for the 14 days I've been in this country. Uh, so it's just a guess, an informed guess. Uh, but so, uh, and uh, well, a colleague of mine uh, published an article with the title, The Unknown Republic, and that was America unknown to the Germans. Now, this is a grass exaggeration. Uh, American history combines something with uh, British history or international history is taught at various uh, uh, German uh, universities. So the students are confronted with this American civ is taught to all students that take American literature. So there, and of course, English is fairly well known 
uh, in uh, Germany. Many people read The Economist or Time magazine. Uh, so all that uh, works um, uh, fairly uh, well. Of course, I should add this as far as being informed uh, is concerned. When I, before I left to this country, I uh, met uh, two friends of my age, uh, not related to America at all, if they've never been in this country, but one, the, the uh, wife of my friend, she asked me, well, when you go to the States, don't you feel observed there? And I said, so far I haven't. And uh, my experience during these two weeks uh, confirms uh, my answer. But uh, this lingering uh, distrust, you know, what kind of country is it? Uh, how strong is the government there? What about uh, basic rights and all that? That does exist in Germany and uh, has an impact on the image Germans have of the United States. And now, cultural relations. Now, that's a very, very complicated issue because there is a continuous process of Americanization going on in Germany with Germans very often not aware of the fact that this comes from America. It's, it seems just technical advance, you know, uh, the kind of television we have, anchormen and all that, lots of uh, uh, Americans' uh, expressions we have, we accept more or less, they are mostly mispronounced, so I personally I don't like them very much, but uh, this doesn't uh, uh, carry very much with the rest uh, of the, the well, many people of the German uh, public. But uh, uh, yes, I think there is a cultural divide that's being perceived uh, in Germany, and that's a very recent development, although it goes far back. I mentioned that uh, bull session, or those bull sessions that I had down at Miami University where I went to school, and we discussed religion. Oh, no, that was on my hitchhiking. Uh, trip to the south, and some revivalists took me along, you know, and 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 he talked about uh, being redempted for good, and and uh, uh, on the side of the good, uh, on the sides of the good people, and all that. Uh, and I had that discussion discussion about religion uh, and uh, of uh, uh, the meaning of grace, you know, uh, whether it can be attained on earth, you know, whether you can be revived for good and never make a mistake anymore because God's guide you. Uh, now this is a kind of religious feeling and then of course the close uh, relation that exists between religion and politics in this country. State and church, they are well separated, but religion and politics is much more closely related in this country than it would be anywhere in Europe, I may mention Poland as a possible exception. Uh, so these are differences that are being uh, perceived and then of course uh, in a way we have been too well re-educated. Now we learned uh, about the rule of law, you know, Rechtsstaatlichkeit as we uh, call it, the due process, all that. Uh, now it's significant and it's difficult that our present chancellor, or you speak of a chancelloress, anyhow, uh, Angela Merkel, when before she visited Bush, you probably read that in your papers, she said, well, Guantanamo, that cannot be tolerated. And she had a discussion, discussion on that, 
and Blair supported her in a cautious way, of course, he had to, uh, but this is the thing uh, that uh, certainly damages the image of the United States. Abu Ghraib, or however you pronounce it, uh, but it has become so common to our ears that my German pronunciation comes to me first, uh, and Guantanamo, these are two um, aspects of the policy or whatever you want to think attitude of the present administration that badly hurts uh, the prestige the United States still enjoys in Germany. I hope I answered this, your question. Yes. Speaking of? America, yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, it's very difficult to generalize. I can only speak of personal uh, experiences I have. Now, my wife is, comes from East Germany and still have lots of relatives there, and they have a, a flourishing exchange uh, with American high schools, and they like it very much, the kids. So. For the younger generation, I think uh, the perspective uh, of America is not very much different from uh, West German uh, youngsters. Uh, but uh, generally, uh, of course, the United States enjoyed a very high prestige in East Germany. This was the alternative uh, of, to the Soviet rule, to the communist rule. That wasn't liked that well uh, in East Germany. Uh, and uh, in fact, we made it a point when we were in Washington to invite our friend, uh, our relatives uh, from uh, East Germany to Washington. Of course, they were deeply impressed. They were a little surprised that there were no interpreters around speaking German. They somehow they were they were used to that in Eastern Europe. The situation was a little different in the States, but uh, generally, they were open-minded. Sure, they were not ingrained uh, uh, communists. Uh, but uh, they were open, and uh, of course, the history instruction is the same in East Germany as it is now uh, in the West. Uh, and uh, as far as the older generation, my own contemporaries are, are concerned, it's very difficult uh, to, to make any uh, generalizations. I think the difference, coming to think of it, is not the Cold War. We they listen to Western radio in East Germany. So they were well informed of the American point of view. The difference is, is they didn't go through the 68 experience. And, and that's an entirely different story. And having missed that experience, of course, they are no part of the anti-Vietnam protest as the German students are. So in a way, from their history, uh, uh, they, are, they may be less critical of the United States than many Germans. It just comes to my mind spontaneously. Yes, other questions? Yes, please. Latest German? I don't think uh, 
the German relationship to the states played very much of a role uh, during uh, the election. Of course, uh, uh, Merkel, I won't forget that, she said when uh, the coalition attacked uh, Saddam Hussein, she had an understanding from the American decision to launch uh, that war differently uh, from Schroeder. And she also made the point that uh, if that war hadn't taken place and if Schroeder hadn't taken advantage of it, uh, he may not have won the election. Of course, this is a conjecture. You, can, uh, say that, you cannot uh, say that for sure. I think Merkel, of course, her Minister of Foreign Affairs is a social democrat, as you know. It's a grand coalition. They have to come uh, to uh, arrive at a common uh, foreign policy. Um, I think uh, as far as she made it known during her election campaign, she kind of hinted that there would be corrections, uh, that, uh, for instance, Germany would be no longer so much tied up with Putin uh, and uh, the, uh, the new Russia, uh, that corrections were necessary with regard to Poland, but also with regard to the United States. Also, Germany would no longer be as close uh, to France as it had been uh, under uh, Schroeder. So this uh, three-partite uh, alliance that existed for a time of the old Europe uh, somehow uh, is a matter of uh, a pass to, to Merkel. Uh, so I think that's the question one could give. Uh, and of course, this was significant. I think the second trip Merkel took was to America, wasn't it? First to France. That's uh, customary uh, in Germany. It's a tra long tradition. But the second trip, I think, was to the United States. And of course, this was a point she wanted to make. Yes, other questions? I'm not exhausted, if you are not. <laughs> Now, uh, I have it in my manuscript. I may have not had, uh, have read it to you. Uh, a unification on Western terms, of course, not neutralization. Neutralization was not in the cards for the United States since, uh, well, 47 maybe. 46, there was some wavering, but we, uh, afterwards, uh, if there was to be unification, it had to be on Western terms. That is incorporation of East Germany uh, to the West German Republic as it actually uh, happened. Now, I'm fully aware there were divergencies, uh, very important ones during the Kenny. I just didn't have time uh, to, to put this into my paper. During the Kennedy period, uh, Eisenhower uh, supported uni reunification, uh, 
what you say, lock, stock, and barrel uh, without um, any uh, reservations because he uh, felt that the policy of rolling up the Iron Curtain was fully in line with the German aim uh, of uh, uh, reunification. Of course, Kennedy, didn't, uh, Kennedy no longer wanted to roll back uh, the Iron Curtain. He was rather for coexistence, uh, and uh, he wanted to neutralize the German problem and his own difficulty dilemma was to keep the Germans in line, uh, pro-Western, uh, although the United States had reservations with regard uh, to unification, especially if this unification threatened the process uh, of uh, detente. Uh, uh, so uh, to Eisenhower, it was a priority. It was no longer to Kennedy, and of course German governments were well aware of it, and this explains the tensions that came up uh, between Adenauer uh, and uh, Kennedy and also Germany's turning to uh, de Gaulle, who seemed fully to support uh, German unification without uh, the reservations that uh, Kennedy had developed. Yes? Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, well, that's a, that's a very interesting point you've made. Now, first of all, of course, uh, the further existence uh, of Israel is just one of the basic uh, aims of German foreign policy uh, for historical reasons you mentioned, and uh, this policy is accepted, except for the very far right uh, and uh, the very, very far uh, left. But uh, the support of Israel, that's something that uh, both the Social Democrats as well as the Christian Democrats fully and without any reserve uh, uh, do uh, agree. Uh, now, uh, the image of the United States as an imperial power, uh, is it derived just, well, yes. Uh, I think the fact that the United States ultimately discarded a United Nations war against Iraq, uh, which, of course, was discussed at the time. Now, this seemed to be proved of United States unilateralism in a way that was more pronounced than uh, during the 20th uh, century, where the United States, uh, wherever they could, tried to be in line with the United Nations uh, wherever they could. Of course, there was a Soviet veto. Now, that was a big barrier. Uh, but especially in areas outside uh, the uh, Cold War, the United States tried to enlist the support uh, of the United Nations as it did in the first Iraqi war under Bush uh, the Older, 
and as it did during, during the Korean War. Now, in, uh, to, uh, before the beginning, the outbreak of the war against Saddam Hussein, America did it more or less on its own. And then, of course, there was this security memorandum of 2002, uh, which already sketched this unilateral role and preemptive wars. Now, that's, I think, uh, or better, better, I should say, not preemptive, but preventive wars. Uh, now, this made the round uh, in the German public. And, and whenever uh, of Bush's foreign policy, uh, whenever Bush's foreign policy is being discussed, uh, the question of preventive war uh, comes up, uh, which has been reiterated in the recent new version of the security uh, memorandum. And this uh, seems to be an imperial uh, policy, no longer hegemonial, hegemonial, yeah. Uh, can you say that in English? Okay. Uh, of a hegemon, uh, but, but of an empire. I th I th so it's not the areas that are concerned. It's not the cautious policy with regard to China, for instance, uh, that makes the difference for the critics in Germany, but it's the general orientation of America's policy as described in the two security uh, memoranda, maybe in a more radical way than the Bush administration actually is acting. I mean, that's something that comes to my mind. Yes. Chile, sure. Uh, well, basically, the the, uh, the the pardon me. Uh, well, in those in in those in in those olden days, of course, that was uh, the Mossadegh uh, thing that was in '53, right? Uh, yeah. Well, that was a time when America was not criticized in Germany because uh, it, it, what the decisions, you know, German rearmament, all that, they were of such primary importance that. Uh, the German public largely didn't care uh, what happened. And of course, the American version of the Mossadegh story was more or less bought uh, by the uh, American public in those olden days because uh, the primary security-related uh, reasons for sticking with the United States, uh, they were overruling. Uh, and so that also the... the uh, the putsch in, 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 or the anti-putsch Arbenz thing in, in Guatemala, these were things that really were not import, uh, very much reported in the German uh, public. Chile, Chile. Uh, yeah, that, that didn't make a difference. Now, this is the time of the second image already. Uh, of course, critics of America's policies in Vietnam, they referred to Chile um, as well and used the Chile example for gooder better or worse, uh, as another example of high-handed and imperial behavior on the part uh, of the Americans. Mm, if I, I have a strange personal recollection, when the thing came up, the small paper in Freiburg, where it still lived, it made the point that uh, 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 the uh, uh, removal uh, of uh, the uh, Allende uh, government had been engineered by the United States. It was a a coup engineered by, by the United States, and, and, and I thought, where did they know that from? Uh, and I 
wrote a letter that was published to that paper and said, now the evidence is not sufficient to support this allegation. Now, then, of course, a lot of, uh, uh, of, of uh, evidence uh, came up, and uh, uh, I found out to my own embarrassment that I uh, uh, had uh, judged a little prematurely. But then, going back to it, writing my book, I noted, uh, sure, there was American pressure, uh, but the unseating of Gienne uh, was not directly uh, uh, an American action. So, in a way, I wasn't that wrong when I wrote that letter way back when, I don't know when it was, 74, uh, to that Badische Zeitung in, in Freiburg. So, you, of course, uh, it depends on what comes up uh, as far as documentation goes. Uh, I don't know whether the last word has been spoken about the Allende affair, whether there are still unknowns. Uh, well, you have to always to be open to the veto of sources, you know. All right. If uh, you're exhausted, I thank you very much for your intent.